it's, I don't know what it is. You probably know yeah, better than me. I, I mean, you went from 2019, 67 million run rate to 2020, $100 million run rate. I mean, that's yeah. pretty healthy growth. It's good growth. Right it's good growth. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so the business is going well. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. What's up, guys? Special guest today. My guest is Nick Meta with Gainside Customer Success Software Aficionado, leading the company uh, launched many years ago. Uh, customer Success Company is the brand today, a five-time Forbes Cloud 100 recipient. Their team is now nearly 700 people who have created the customer success category that's currently taking over their SaaS business model worldwide. He's been named as one of the top SaaS CEOs by the Software Report three years in a row. Nick, you ready to take us to the top? Awesome to be here, Nathan. Thanks so much. Yeah, you know, we were joking about football last time you were on, I think back in 2018, 2019. We yeah. The Washington football team, my team, has passed Dwayne Haskins onto you guys. I will say, don't don't get too excited. I'll just leave it at that, okay? He's doing okay in the preseason, surprisingly, so I don't know. But yeah, he, he seems like you can't count on him, so we'll Chokes see. under pressure. Chokes under pressure. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, um, you're on a tear. So, so I guess one thing that I want to sort of get folks on really quick, your product lines, it seems like you're expanding product lines very yeah. aggressively. It right. used to just be like, how do you comp your like customer success reps? And now you have like way more product lines. Where is the product today? How are you thinking about product? Totally. I think a lot of people go through this, Nathan, and you've seen this from some other companies you've covered, where you start out um, solving a point problem. And then you're like, there's a much bigger problem to solve. When we started out with Gainsight, the point problem was there's a new role in companies called the CSM, and they need to figure out which customers to reach out to, to how to effectively manage them, identify risk. And we still do that. We have a lot more to do there. But why do people have CSM teams? They have CSM teams to improve net retention in their company. They want to keep their customers. They want to get them to spend more money. They want them to be bigger advocates. That's net retention. The number one valuation driver in SaaS is net retention. And we want to be the company to help businesses improve net retention. Now, to do that, it's not just about the CSM team because you need the sales team to learn how to sell new things to your customers. The product team needs to build products that are easy to adopt and use from the beginning. And so we went from a single product company to now portfolio products that we call customer cloud. Customer cloud. And I think there's four key things here. There's success, right. engagement, experience, and expansion, right? Yep. So customer success, which is where we started, scale your CS team. How do you not have to throw people at it? There's customer experience. Measure how your customers feel about you in terms of surveys, NPS, in-application, through email, and then really deep and natural language processing to understand what are the themes that are coming up? Are people upset about your pricing model? Are they really happy with the sales experience? Number three, revenue optimization. That's all about now that you have these great successful clients, how do you get them to spend more money? So forecasting your renewals, driving expansion, identifying the cross-sell opportunity in your accounts. And then finally, product experience, which says, okay, the most important thing is to make your product awesome because everything else doesn't matter if your product isn't awesome. So in the app, you drop in a small amount of code, onboard your users more easily, get them to try out new features, get feedback from the user in the application and give them in-app support to guide them to the right experience to get them the most value out of your product. 
And Nick, when you're thinking of these new product lines to go into, I now understand the net dollar retention figures, like the driving force, it sounds right. like between your sprint cycles on the engineering side. But there are, as you know, multi-billion dollar companies doing just like one of these things. I mean, look at Pendo, yeah. for Pendo. example, on product engagement, right? Like how do you decide what wedge to launch with in the product engagement category and then decide what order of operations is in terms of what you develop next on the on the product side in that category? A great question. And we, when we when we decided to go to a multi-product, the first thing we got into was PX, the, the product experience area. And there's great companies in there, Pendo, WalkMe, they're all very good companies. What we heard from our clients over and over again, when we asked them if we had a magic wand and we could do one thing to help drive net retention of your company, every CS leader said product, every single one. The number product, better data about how people use the product, better engagement in the product, better feedback from the product. And so we found a great company that hadn't really launched yet called Aptrinsic. We bought them integrated into our suite. And what we're seeing from our clients is they don't want a disconnected experience between what the CSM is telling the customer, what the salesperson is telling the customer, and what's happening in the product. They want all of that connected together. Companies like Adobe, Splunk, Autodesk, they want all of that stuff tied together versus being silos. So it's you know there's great point companies in the space, and they do other things that we don't do. But we're the only company in the world that can really link together CS, product, and sales to improve net retention. Now, the last time you came on the show was back in, uh, again, July 2019. You shared with me at that point, you guys were working with about 700 customers. Nick, where are you guys today? Yeah, we're close to, I think, about 1,000 customers now, a little bit more than that. But the ASP has gone up a lot, too. So sort of, as you know, Nathan, one of the things that happens when you have multiple products is you actually can drive a lot more spend from your clients as well. So, yeah. So this is something I want to go deeper on because this is net dollar retention. We're going to get meta, right. meta, 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 meta. <laughs> you like how I see what I did there? Meta, I meta, love meta. It. So, so you were back then, you told me that average ARPU was around eight grand or annual ACV about a hundred grand. I imagine you've significantly expand that at this point. Yeah, it's it's higher than that. We're As we get bigger, it's a little harder to disclose all the metrics now because you can imagine for obvious reasons, we have to be more careful. But um, yes, it's uh, significantly higher than that, which is, means other people are both buying more of our core products, yes, but also more of those other products as well. Nick, let me ask you sort of an interesting question here. If you could not add any new customers, no more new logos, you could only sell more seats and more products to like your current logo base, how much could you grow over the next year? Well, you know, it's interesting that, that, that um, it, it, uh, the, if you look at our business, there's a few factors that drive very natural organic growth. There's more CSMs in the world every year. And so that naturally drives growth of our, our CS product, right? And then most of our customers, about 17% of our customers have our PX product today. That means there's 83% still to go buy it. So you can go drive more sales there. We have these new modules, revenue optimization, customer experience. And then we're launching more and more uh, modules, both organically, as well as at some point, probably some other acquisitions. So I can't give you an exact number, but it's significant. There's a lot of opportunity in our base for sure. So then if we combine all the new customers you're going to add here in 2021, plus the expansion from historic ones, you don't have to give me a flat number, but what do you think percentage-wise you guys will grow at this year? Again, these are the kind of numbers, unfortunately, I'm such a transparent guy, I love sharing that stuff. But now as you get further along, for disclosure reasons, we can't share that stuff uh, like we used to. Um, But um, what I can tell you is that we think that we grow in some ways, Gainsight is a derivative off of SaaS, right? So as more companies go into SaaS, I mean, honestly, Nathan, you're the person that, for me to talk to because all these people you're documenting and interviewing and your great list that you build, all those companies at some point are like, God, we got to focus on net retention. We got to do this thing called customer success. Who knows customer success? They get to gain sight. We've been fortunate to be the leader in the space. And so there's this natural tailwind for our business, um, which has been really, really cool. 
But one thing, just piece of advice for entrepreneurs, I think that as you know, in, if you're in a new category, the question Nathan's asking is actually a really hard one because you can't just go to some industry report, right? Nathan, like that's something that in an existing category, you go to some report that says, oh, the market is growing by X. But if you are the market, if you're creating the market, you don't, nobody else knows except you. And so one of the things we do a lot of is look at primary data. Like for example, Bain Consulting Group did a study for us and found that CSM kind of teams are growing about 30% a year overall. And that's, that's includes some that are growing super fast and some just getting started. Right. And so there's a lot of data out there that helps us understand what our growth rate should be long term. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's a hot space. Now, what you, you sit on all this data on other companies for someone listening right now that's maybe trying to scale and go between 10 million in revenue up to 50 million in revenue. What is like world class net dollar retention for that size company in SaaS? Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's, by the way, one thing about net retention is there's, there's kind of two, two big variables. One is like your operations, meaning your sales and customer success and all that. That's my world. The other one is your business model. So there's some companies that have a consumption-based business model. So Snowflake, 180% net retention, right? Don't compare. If you're like a classic kind of software seat model, don't compare yourself to Snowflake because honestly, it'll just make you feel bad because uh, that's a different business model. So in consumption, you see companies with 150, 160, 170, 180%. In, in sort of more your classic subscription, you know, one, 110 is very good. 120 is like, is really good. 130 is like awesome, right? And so that's kind of the range. If you're more of an SMB player, meaning selling to small businesses, 100 is good. HubSpot, I think is about 101. And that's amazing, right? They're doing a great job. And so you need to put yourself in the right comparative set. We actually published a report on our website of all the public SaaS companies in terms of net retention and also what their valuation multiple was. The point was to show there's a big correlation between net retention and valuation. But when you look at it, you should eyeball and look, think about the companies that are like you. Nick, if someone's listening right now going, oh, I want to maximize valuation and the highest valued companies are ones like Snowflake that are almost, they're not really SaaS. They're more like a utility line. It's utility-based pricing. Shouldn't everyone be moving away from SaaS and into utility-based pricing? Shouldn't every basketball player that uh, is starting on the court be LeBron James, Um, right? And the reality is some are born to be LeBron James, some aren't. I would argue that, there's some businesses that actually naturally lend themselves to utility-based pricing. So if you're starting a company from scratch, I do think the companies that are utility-based, product-led growth, consumption-based pricing are the best businesses largely. And by the way, I'm saying that Gainsight is not one of those. So I'm not. You're, you are not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. You know, and we have very good business, but definitely the outlier businesses mostly are in that sort of product-led growth, consumption-based pricing, et cetera. But it, you, know, you have to sort of say, what are you, right? Like if you're selling enterprise software that is like sold to the CHRO, and it's like a three-year contract, you're not going utility-based pricing anytime soon. Don't even waste time on that. That's just a total waste of time. What you should figure out is how do you sell more modules to your customer, et cetera, right? But if you're in the developer ecosystem, selling platform technology, you have to be some kind of utility-based pricing, right? Whether you're Twilio, Snowflake, et cetera, right? And so it's more about what market are you in? I think those markets, the kind of subscription SaaS and kind of consumption slash utility are actually just very different markets. Makes a lot of sense. Pivoting back now to your founder story, Nick, I think there's valuable data for anyone building a SaaS business, thinking about NDR. Um, your own business, I mean, you launched in 2012. You shared this last time on the show. Right. Uh, you know, I think you guys raised up through 2017 about 190 million bucks. One of the big changes, though, between the last time we chatted and now is you did a deal with Vista Equity in yeah. November of 2020. Why right. did you do that deal? Totally. So, we, you know, uh, at that time, we'd been doing Gainside about eight years and been amazing. And 
you know, we reported that we had crossed 100 million of AR and all that. So lots of amazing, awesome, super lucky. Um, and everyone listening that's an entrepreneur knows that um, if you, you know, if you really believe in what you do, it's a long journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I really believe in what we do and we think we can build something really big. And so I wanted us to be aligned for going long and, you know, being a long-term independent company. And Vista is kind of showed up in this new category where they're not really private equity anymore and they're not your classic VC. They're investing in companies that are trying to be these like long-term growers, not, you know, Gainsight's never since the early days been a snowflake or UI path, one of those, you know, 500% growth, right? That's just not who we are because we're kind of creating a new category, but we have a very good growth and very actually now good and great economics and everything else. And, you know, Vista really wants to invest in companies that are building for the long-term. And so we were excited about that. As you know, Nathan, when you run a team, part of it is our team's been doing a long time. So it's, there's an awesome opportunity to, for people to take care of their families vis-a-vis liquidity and stuff like that. And I'm sure that resonates with people listening because you're going a long time and you got to take care of people along the way. And so the idea of being able to have an investor that's excited about the long-term, have our team be taken care of, and then kind of double down basically for the next phase of growth, which is what we're doing now. Many would argue if, if they compared the $100 million in AR that you had to the $1.1 billion valuation, that that multiple was a steal for Vista when you compare it to like what Gong just raised, which you know, yeah. just then you announced it at Pulse. Why was your multiple higher? Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny. I think I think it will be a steal for Vista. Actually, I think our business has done really well in the last six months. So I'm actually excited for it to be a steal because I think all of us will make out well. Um, well I think some of this is, you know, we, it, I mean, no, you worked your ass off for eight years. You, yeah. you want to maximize price. Why didn't, did you feel like you did a good job maximizing? I think that, I mean, being open with you, do we did in November and the market soared between November and, and March or April. So like you can't intellectually, honestly, yeah, I would have gone up a little bit more during that time frame. So there's probably some of it and the timing wasn't, it could have been better on that front. But honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter that much to me. I think the thing that it, for us was like, how do we build a five or $10 billion business? I do think that our business, uh, again, I'm trying to be transparent. Our business was not like growing 70 or 80% a year, you know, or Gong is growing, I don't know, 100, 200%. I don't know what it is. You probably know yeah, better than me. I mean, you went from 2019, 67 million run rate to 2020, hundred million dollar run rate. I mean, that's yeah. pretty healthy growth. It's good growth. Average. It's good growth. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And so the business is going well, but we weren't at that like hundred percent growth. And so we were like, okay, yeah, you know, this is a great partner for the long term. I have a lot of friends who are Vista CEOs who love working with them. Also, one thing I think, you know, this is when you do a deal with a Vista type firm, it's a hundred percent common. So it's actually kind of hard to compare apples to apples to a classic venture deal where there's a preferred. So I wouldn't, I think optically it's hard to compare that valuation to others. Um, but these are good questions. I mean, you, you always think about these as entrepreneurs. I will say for me though, long-term, it's just how do we build a really big company and drive value for our stakeholders. And honestly, everyone is, we're, we all you know, do what, more than enough in terms of financially well along the way. And so now it's just a question, how do we make this great for all of our stakeholders? Nick, without going too deep on the common versus preferred stuff, did you, I, I forget, did you publicize what the size of the check was from Vista at the 1.1 or just the valuation of 1.1? Just the valuation. Because the way that those things work is that they're basically buying out your existing shareholders, not totally, um, but basically your existing shareholders will keep some and then sell some. And then your existing employees will keep some and sell some or, or sell all or whatever. So that's the way it works. So, I mean, Vista wrote a very big check. Um, into this. Um, so yeah, they have a, 
this is very different than a venture round because they put a ton of money um, on Gainsight at a, at a good valuation. So, but great question, Nathan. You know, these are the things you wrestle with as an entrepreneur for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was public in the press. That was a majority. I believe it was a majority buyout, right? Majority so buyout, exactly. Totally. Yeah. So people can do their own math. 1.1 billion valuation. They bought a majority. You can be sort of guess check size there. Now, Nick, it sounds like all of that though didn't. I mean, you there was enough lift left there after where a bunch of that went into the business. Not that's secondary. right. There's money into the business, yeah. and there's money, and we're going to be you know more. Yeah, I mentioned you know over time. Probably I do more acquisitions and stuff. So that's a big part of it too, is somebody that can really invest. In fact, we sometimes when you know you think of like one of these big investment firms, you say, oh, the c- company must get focused on costs and cutting costs. We we are so we started the year at 700 employees. I, I need to update my bio. We're already at 900. We'll end the year way past a, probably like 1100 or something. So we're hiring more people this year than we have in our history. Um, and so it's going to be, yeah, they're really doubling down. It's the one thing I'd say maybe as a closing, because then we're almost out of time. The world of funding is changing so much. I'm sure you see this too, Nathan. Like it used to be you had like private equity and then growth equity and venture capital. Everything's blurring together and it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. So for everyone listening, good luck. I I hope you get a good, some good luck on your side as well and take advantage of this crazy time. Nick, we've got 60 seconds left here. I'm going to put, this is a capital question. You have Vista behind you. Vista raised $14 billion fund. They better deploy capital. They find an operator like you. You just announced a partnership with Gong, but Chorus just went off the market to discover org. Why wasn't... Gainsight acquiring Chorus and bringing that in-house using Vista Capital. <laughs> Great question. We first of all, that would have been too early. We just did this Vista deal, so we weren't ready for that. Second of all, we're not really trying to get into the sales tech area. Um, of course, awesome company. Gong is a great company. We're you know working with Gong. It's great. Um, we definitely want to integrate those technologies. We have a lot of other areas we're focused on that are not that today. But that's a that is a good question. I have a lot of respect for Zoom Info. You know, you've had Henry on your show, I think, as well, right? And so, um, good luck to them. All right, Nick, let's wrap up. Number one, favorite book? Uh, Godel Escherbach. It's a very nerdy math book. <laughs> Number two, CEO you're following or studying? Um, Rachel Carlson is a good friend and CEO of Guild Education, which is changing the way employee re-education is done. She's inspirational. New $3.5 million or $2.5 million fund you guys set up to support that, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. We did this uh, kind of retraining uh, effort together. Thank you. All right. Three, favorite online tool besides your own? I would say, uh, I, I got to say, like, it's so cheesy, but Slack, it, not just the obvious reasons, but because I think Slack really um, gives CEOs so much visibility as you scale. And I'm so obsessed with the details of Gainsight. And with 900 people, it would be very hard to do it without Slack. <laughs> How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Eight hours, my friend. Oh, I, I sleep. I sleep. Married, single kids? Married, three kids. Wow. And how old are you, Nick? I'm 44. Last question. What do you wish you knew when you were 20? Buy Amazon stock. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, the customer success company Gainsight launched in 2012. They grew to about 67, 70 million bucks in run rate, raised called 190 million bucks before doing a deal with Vista last year as they broke a $100 million run rate at a $1.1 billion valuation. Now Nick can focus on long-term with a great partner, over 900 folks on the team now, over a thousand customers, helping you guys, SaaS companies, everyone else drive net dollar retention with a suite of tools they're building out. Nick, thanks for taking us to the top. Awesome. Thanks, Nathan.